Take a look around. You'll notice them everywhere. Facilitators. People who guide other people, create connection, and make tough things easier. This is Facilitator Forum, where we meet a magical mix of people who offer us insights and inspiration through the stories of their work in the world. I'm your host, Julia Winston. Welcome. Hey friends, this is the second conversation in a three-part series about facilitating human connection. Our guest today is Adam Rosendahl, whose name you might actually recognize as the artist behind our Facilitator Forum logo. Not only is Adam a super talented artist, he's a master facilitator, experienced design consultant, and the founder and CEO of Late Night Art. Intriguing name, right? Since 2012, Adam has been dedicated to humanizing the workplace and addressing the epidemic of loneliness, isolation, and disconnection that persists inside teams, communities, and organizations. Over the last 11 years, he's traveled the globe with Late Night Art, hosting more than 500 gatherings across 12 countries for clients ranging from Pixar, Google, LinkedIn, Southwest Airlines, Adobe, Sony, and so many more. Late Night Art supports teams to build psychological safety, develop creative confidence, and disrupt routine ways of thinking. I've gotten to experience the magic of Adam's facilitation, both as a participant and by working alongside him. And let's just say, I'm a major, major fangirl. By the end of this episode, you just might be an Adam Rosendahl fan person too. Let's do this. Adam Rosendahl. Hello. What is up, Julia? Good to talk to you today. I just have to tell our listeners that you're wearing the most rad hat ever, and you're pretty much always wearing an awesome hat. Tell us what kind of hat you're wearing right now. It's actually from a company called Lower Park, and this fabric of my hat is from Syria. It's a beautiful um, arabesque pattern. They take fabric from Syria, from different countries all over the world, and they turn them into really unique textiles and hats and bags. That's awesome, Adam. You're always rocking a very original look, and there's always a story behind it. And there's always color. Like You're a colorful person. So I just want all of you out there to know that I'm looking at this like fabulous smile and a very colorful human being. That's funny because I always wear a hat when I'm facilitating as well. It's kind of become a ritual for me that putting on a hat takes me out of my normal day-to-day. And it, there's a, a company that makes hats and they call them uh, an altar on your head. And I like that having a, a signature look or a, a ritual that gets me in the zone to prepare to be in the a not a normal space to guide people through an experience. Tell us a little bit about late night art in your own words. And what's something you're working on these days that really lights you up? Sure. Yeah. So late night art is we call it a creative learning and development lab. And we lead workshops uh, and trainings and experiences with companies all across the world, but um, primarily with companies like Pixar, LinkedIn, Google, big technology companies, and then universities like NYU, Stanford, um, and then conferences like Summit, the Culture Conference. And we lead this hour and a half experience that's driven by the arts. So we use different art supplies to help people connect with each other, to connect themselves, to build more psychological safety inside of teams, to get people out of their comfort zone, taking risks. Um, And it's just a really joyful, unusual, interactive experience that gets people into sort of an elevated state that they talk about and remember for a long time. 
How did you get on this path, Adam? It's such a unique business. I really haven't seen anything else out there like late night art. So what was the journey that led you to your work? Where to begin? And what are some of the turning points that led you to where you are today? Yeah. When I was 13, I was sent up to a leadership camp called The Power of Hope on Whidbey Island, Washington. And the camp is set up as um, an eight-day experience with about 50 teenagers and 25 adults. The teenagers are from a variety of cultural backgrounds. The adults are artists, activists, educators, facilitators. And it's a very unique experience because there are two lead facilitators who are leading this whole group of 75 through um, a very deep process of connection using different art forms to help us identify as teenagers what our strengths are, what are the things that we would like to um, solve and address in our communities and in the world. And we're getting all this support from the adults, but a big part of the process is that the adults are just uh, peers and friends and they're not necessarily camp counselors. So I was in this intergenerational environment And the way that my mom describes it is that over that week, when I was 13 years old, I had a spiritual experience. And the way I describe it is that my heart was cracked open. And it was the first time that I felt a real sense of empathy for people who are extremely different from me, who are going through very difficult life experiences, like having siblings who had committed suicide, um, people who had been raped, people who had had families where they've had extreme abuse and also just come totally different life experiences than myself. And in this, um, I just had this, like I said, my heart almost like breaking open to humanity, but then also seeing the process of healing and connection in a way that I had never experienced before. And it just changed my paradigm after I left that week the friends that I wanted to cultivate, the level and the quality of relationships that I was looking for in my life were so much deeper. And I think that was made possible by really good facilitators. So it sort of set me on this unlikely trajectory in my life up until now of really seeking out how I could create spaces like that, especially utilizing the arts to help people heal, to help people connect across difference. I was part of that program for a long time. And I have remained a facilitator and a trainer with them now. They are now an international uh, organization called the Partners for Youth Empowerment. They operate in 14 countries. I mean, it sounds like this program had a massive impact on your life and really set you on the course to become a facilitator. What is a facilitator from your perspective? I mean, when I was 13 and I described this program I went through, I really didn't know what was happening. It actually felt like magic because... Um, at a first glance, it couldn't have been a more unlikely group of people. And the idea that these would all become friends and close connections over eight days, it almost felt unimaginable to me. And so it for me at that age, it felt like almost like a wizard in which we're guiding us through some kind of process at which point, you know, the, the unimaginable happened. And so that was my first perspective of what facilitation was, was it's actually like a magical process in which a person helps groups connect on a level that they never would have expected. I love that perspective on facilitation, magical. So you were so inspired by this experience that you had, you were transformed, you end up becoming a facilitator. How did you then go on to start late night art? I was inspired to create my own programs and did a lot of work with young people. And um, I guess the thing that really 
turned into late night art was when I was leading an art class in Seattle. And I experimented with bringing music into my classroom and having all of my students create a collaborative art piece because the students in my class had all been expelled from public school and they had no interest in arts and creativity. So I was just kind of figuring out any kind of way that I could get them engaged through this collaborative process and using music. They were able to feel a sense of excitement when they were creating together instead of feeling like I was forcing them to do something they didn't want to do. And it just totally shifted the culture of my classroom. And so that was the beginning of the spark of using collaborative art process to get people out of their head and sort of as a a tool to connect with one another in this really unique way. So that was just, that was the beginning that sort of led on this really wild ride since 2010. So the last 11 years now led over 500 events in nine different countries. And what started in a classroom started going into corporate teams and conferences and then massive organizational culture change initiatives and has led on like kind of a unlikely wild ride. What's an experience that you have facilitated recently through late night art that resulted in taking people to another place that they didn't even know they could go? I led an event for Procter and Gamble that was with some of their top executives from around the world. And part of it was asking them to talk about a a deep challenge that they're facing right now in their life that keeps them up at night. One of the executives was just sharing his challenge about having a child who has Down syndrome and his other daughter is about to get married. And his son who has Down syndrome was asking his parents if he's going to get married. What was keeping up him up at night is just thinking about his son. And the group at that point, I think that they had never shared on that level before and just started to express their wishes and their love for his son. This man is getting emotional. And you could just see as these, these men in business suits are just starting to hug each other. And there's this deep connection that is starting to unfold. Um, that this is not something that happens. This is not like a normal day occurrence. And the impact of this vulnerable moment and this emotional connection is that potentially whole regions of the world, (laughs) since each of these people in the room runs a different region of the world, there's just unlimited possibilities for collaboration, like the partnership potential that is coming out of this is, you know, unparalleled. Uh, That was just beautiful to watch. And I don't think that that's necessarily like a normal day occurrence in every single one of my events is that people really drop down into like that, that core. But when I see that it's really special and, you know, I know I'm witnessing something that just doesn't happen very often or has never happened before. I often feel proud that I can be somebody who can open up the space for that, for them to connect with each other and hopefully continue that momentum after the room, um, after they leave the room. Yes. Wow. Having a ripple effect uh, through this entire team. It must be so inspiring for you to just be a witness to groups and group dynamics and to watch the barriers fall down between people and to see humans connect on a deeper level. Yeah. It's kind of like the thing that lights me up more than any else. anything else that I can think of is you know, when, yeah, when people are opening up to each other, especially in front of a group. And I see that I guess that level of being witnessed, being seen, heard, celebrated, especially in an environment where it doesn't happen very often, like between an intern and a CEO, between an investor and somebody who's a founder of a company, between you know an employee who just started working at a place and all of a sudden is 
able to be witnessed by an entire team that's been established. And there's a sense of you're one, you're part of our team and they, they feel at home or they feel a sense of connection that they might not have felt before. I love those moments. And I love being able to create environments that, that encourage that. Yeah. Just before we started this conversation, before I hit record, you were starting to tell me a beautiful story about a group you just worked with. Why don't you tell our audience a little bit about that story? Sure. Yeah. And I, I guess just for context, the um, the program that I grew up uh, as a part of where I first learned about facilitation, which is called Partners for Youth Empowerment, is a very international organization. They operate in 14 countries. The facilitators that I experienced as a teenager were from India. They're from Uganda, South Africa, Brazil, London. And so I just saw the power of cross-cultural facilitated environments and how much we can learn, um, especially when people in our group are extremely different from us. And so that has been a really core of my work from the very beginning and is a really important value. So I recently had the opportunity to go into the nonprofit, which is called Safe Place International, and they specifically create safe spaces for LGBTQ immigrants from many different countries who have ended up in Greece, in Athens, where there are not really, there's there's not a lot of safe places for these communities. And so there's a lot of hardship. I ended up facilitating this virtual experience for about 40 people who are from Syria, Liberia, Nigeria, Turkey, Greece, and all of them are part of Safe Place International, and they're part of this 10-week program that's all about creating connection, safety, emotional resilience, healing from trauma. And I was so grateful to be part of the community-building arm of that program. And what I was so deeply touched by is that um, this group of people, I think, um, who's gone through a lot of difficult circumstances, the way that they welcomed me as a facilitator into their virtual room It was so warm and welcoming and heartfelt that I honestly was crying in the first five minutes and I was leading, I was leading the experience, but the way that they welcomed me in really touched me. And so I felt like on the edge of my seat in a kind of elevated, magical facilitation sense that I don't get that often anymore. It's sort of what I live for these moments of time out of time, being in a space where you're really working with a group and it feels like uh, a second could be a year and time has kind of been dispelled. And um, yeah, we, we went deep and I felt very much like I was in the experience that I was facilitating with them. Yeah. Just the comments that people gave me afterwards saying that I changed their life, that they felt like a deeper connection with themselves, um, that they felt like this was a core part of their healing process. Like these things that are just not normal day-to-day comments. And it kind of just, I think it just brought me back to why I do the work that I do in such an important way, because I have been doing this work with Late Night Art now for more than 10 years. And like I said, I've led more than 500 events and I'm still doing it and I still feel a sense of vibrancy and excitement in the work that I'm doing. And I do feel like I'm on purpose and I'm in the right place as a facilitator. It's a core part of what I'm here to do in this world. But doing an event like that, it kind of just shook me up into, uh, I guess the word is aliveness. What is it about the arts that you think unlocks that aliveness for people? 
we can get wrapped up in a sort of pattern with just speaking and listening. The main modality that we use in conversation and in most educational environments is reading, writing, listening, speaking, you know, and so the arts really mix that up. They kind of throw a wrench in that traditional pattern. And so when I use visual arts to help people think about an experience in their lives that had a massive impact on them and having them draw it instead of just talk about it, it really changes their perspective. And one of the things about the arts is that when I create something, whether I tell a story about someone else's experience, I draw a picture about someone else's experience, and then I reflect it back to them. There's a way that it helps people feel seen, heard, and celebrated that I don't think traditional talking and listening can do. So the arts have a really special way of building empathy and and getting people out of their normal context that I feel like it just keeps people on the edge of their seat and it keeps things fresh and exciting and engages with a a core of who people are beyond what they like to show. So it has a way of kind of getting to the surface of who people are really quickly and they can show many more of the layers of themselves that they usually do in normal conversation. One thing that strikes me in our conversation is how open you are to being transformed through your work, by holding space for other people. What are some of the ways that you feel that your work as a facilitator has been transformative for you? Yeah. I, I mean, what comes to me initially is that we all teach what we want to learn. you know. And I think for me, because being part of a facilitated environment had such a big impact on me, of course, that's what spurred me to become a facilitator. And when I do this work, one of the things that I felt like I was missing out early on is that I'm creating and curating the environments for people to connect. But sometimes the facilitator is left out of the conversation. Um, We are not necessarily part of the magic. We are just at the front of the room creating the magic. So I get a little high when I see a whole group buzzing with enthusiasm. And at the same time, sometimes it can feel like at the end of the event, I'm leaving and you know, everyone else is connected and I just had my own experience. There are other times where I feel very, very connected to the group. And I feel like I'm very much part of my own experience. And um, like I mentioned with Safe Place International, like I was in the room, even though it was virtually, I was in the arena with everyone else. And I think what allows for that to happen is for me or whoever the facilitator is to be really raw, to be real, to be vulnerable, to be candid, to say things how they are in the moment without being um, prescribed or, you know, too overly planned. And that just allows for so much of the group to see who I am, see where I'm at. And then all of a sudden there's just a new level of connection that's there. I think it's, it is quite different virtually. Um, I have noticed on these big virtual environments, especially when there's over a hundred people it's hard to feel connected to the group. Even if I am in that extremely present and open space, people, I think, still feel connected to me. But since I can't see everyone's face, it's a little trickier. And so I'm still kind of straddling that. How how can I work with myself in that way? 
Yeah, I think I think many of us who are facilitating uh, group experiences online are probably itching to get back out there in person. And I know that's starting to happen a little bit more. So as you step back into in-person events, whether that be this month, this year, we don't really know what the future holds. But as you get back out there, what's something that you're going to take from this time that you've had to facilitate virtually out into the real world? Hmm. I think the thing that comes to mind is how special, how sacred it is when we are in person together, just to not take it for granted. People were doing so many group events and interactions. It was kind of becoming, um, you know, old hat. And now I think as people start to gather again, it's going to be awkward and exciting and very special especially for a lot of teams that I'm working with that are hiring a ton of people and no one has actually met each other in person. These these next events that are happening at the end of this year and the beginning of 2022 are going to be really, really powerful moments for people to build you know, the foundation and relationships necessary to actually be a, a more cohesive team. So yeah, I'm excited to bring that sense of sacredness or ritual to the group environments and just not make it clear that this is not something we can take for granted and you know how special it is that we get to see each other face to face again. Yeah, we started with ritual and now as we come towards the end of our episode we're ending with ritual. What's one ritual maybe if you could give a little tip for our audience. What's one ritual that we can bring to groups when we're working with groups? Something that I maybe I'll throw in there is setting an intention as a facilitator before we enter into the space with the group. Before I facilitate, I I go and look in the mirror. You know this, Julia, but I I call in um, my dad who's passed away, and I call in his ability to not care about what other people think and his kind of wild creative sensibility. And then I call in my mentor Charlie Murphy and his lifelong dedication to using the arts to empower young people and to create connections with people across difference on both of my shoulders. And then I call in my higher self, my whole self. Um, with both my feet on the ground, I allow myself to step into my power and just call in that I'm going to bring joy, creativity, connection, and elevate this group to another level that they didn't recognize was possible. And that I'm a channel for that. It's not me who's doing it, but I'm connected to some higher source that is being powered through me to allow this to unfold and to happen. So I think that ritual it gets me out of my head, out of the ego of doing things right or wrong, and just recognizing the purpose of why I do what I do. And um, I think it becomes like a grounding force for me. So that's that's a ritual that I think can be changed and depending on, you know, what you're, the work that you're doing, but I think calling in an intention around what is the higher purpose of what is possible every time you facilitate. Adam, I think there's so much that's possible for the world through experiencing you and your magic. You're such a soulful human being. And I want to thank you so much for joining us today. And I have one last question for you. What's something you would want someone else to facilitate for you to make your life more magical or easier or anything that you think would be enriching for you? Wow. Right now I'm growing my business. And so I'm as the the artist that I am, the artist and facilitator that I am, t- learning all the the business skills around operations and um, growth and marketing and being a CEO. It's really important for me to make this fun uh, and creative. I'm doing my best 
to <laughs> turn all of the aspects of running a business and make it fun. But if somebody else could help facilitate that for me to help me access these, these you know, analytics and all these, you know, <laughs> KPIs and how to make that fun and facilitate that for me, that would be wonderful. A business fun facilitator. How do you make business fun? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, if you find that person, um, please let me know because I would love to hear from them too. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you you so much, Adam. Thank you, Julia. Well, there you have it, folks. A real life wizard. Bet you didn't know you were going to meet one of those today. Check out latenightart.com and that's night spelled N-I-T-E to learn more about the amazing magical work that Adam and his team are doing out there in the world and if it's right for you or your business. Visit facilitatorforum.com for more resources and information about today's episode and to read our latest blog post. Subscribe to Facilitator Forum wherever you get your podcasts and definitely join us in a couple of weeks for the last installment of this conversation about facilitating human connection. I want to thank Adam Rosendahl, not only for joining me today, but also for creating the beautiful Facilitator Forum artwork. Thanks to Gasoline Tequila for the original music for this podcast. That's Caleb Spaulding on percussion and Massimo Lusardi on the guitar. And I'm sending a big giant thank you to you for being with me on this journey. I feel you out there and I'm so glad you're with me. What kind of magic are you making out there in the world? Go do your thing and I'll see you next time.